Welcome to Fanboy News Network, your guide to geek culture. I'm Jeff Harris. And I'm Daniel Christensen. So, welcome back to another episode of our wonderful little crazy podcast we do because we're geeks of a certain age. Yes, how about that? And, uh... We're white dudes. There, let us give you our opinion on things. So, uh, and I'll cover this again at the end of the episode, but uh, I finally took a plunge that, considering we're in the, what, 70s? Of our of our episodes. Oh, I was gonna say, dude. I don't know about you. I'm still in my forties. But but uh, um, I've gotten a new email address <gasps> for uh, Fanboy News Network, uh, and nothing frilly. It's fanboynewsnetwork at gmail.com. Wow, okay then. But I decided uh, with me doing work to branch out into other media, uh, it might be useful to have a actual easy to get to feedback source. There you go. So I uh, did that. I also uh, have separated my personal Twitter from Fanboy News Network. Uh, right now, I don't have a lot, but anytime I put out something new through Fanboy News Network, it'll show up on Twitter uh, at Fanboy underscore Network. Okay, then. So, uh, and and part of this is, and, and we may talk a little bit, uh, well, let's talk about it now before we get into other things. I'm, I'm exploring... Well, YouTube, we've been talking about for a while. Of course, uh, I'm, because YouTube's been around for a while. Yeah, so I'm practicing, and it's I'm not putting a date on when I'm going to have this done. I want to get my technique down before I commit to anything and get some stuff in the can. But uh, working with my uh, partners on the Video Nasty Project, uh, they are teaching me how to edit video. And basically, we are doing steps to convert the space you and I are using right now to record the podcast to record YouTube videos. And um, I'm going to keep it thematically different from what we do here. Uh, This format will always be what's going on right now in geek culture, you and I talking about subjects like that. Uh, When I get to the video series, it's going to be much more review-based. And But I'm also looking at expanding possibly to doing some Twitch streaming. That's not just giving you extra caffeine and and hoping for the best. That's no, no. Well, with Twitch streaming, uh, you know, I've gotten involved as I've talked in the last couple episodes. Uh, I'm now involved in a community on Twitch uh, based around wrestling, of all things. But uh, a lot of members of that community do other games, and uh, so part of it is if I'm going to do streaming, figuring out what kind of streamer I want to be. Uh, and one thing I think is pretty clear based on everything else I do is I, I'm not saying I am not going to do narrative based games, but what I'm probably going to do are games that are chill enough that I can easily talk over them while playing. And see, I'm still waiting to find out about these games that are supposedly chill because everything that my wife ends up playing ends up being some frenzy of things flying all over the place. And if it's not bullets, it's... It's whatever resources you're throwing around. So, hey, chill games. What a concept. Well, here's an interesting... So, it is a concept. So, well, here's what I've seen so far, since we're going down this rabbit hole. Um, one of the guys in my wrestling community, uh, his Twitch channel is Shadow Dancer Bob. And his uh, game that he just recently wrapped up was a game called Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. Oh, yeah, the, the, the storytelling one. Right. Yeah. It's a game based on storytelling, Dust Bowl era, collecting and sharing stories. And it's now given there's a, it's hard to talk over it at points because you're listening to stories, but it's very chill. Uh, I am probably, when I first start experimenting, which might be this week, I don't know yet, um, there's a game called Sentinels of the Multiverse which is a uh, PC game version of the card game. Okay, never heard of either one, so. So it's a, it's a game where everyone has a deck, and the decks all represent superheroes. So each deck is themed on a superhero. And then there's a common deck for the supervillain and the environment you're in. And you're trying to reach certain objectives before the supervillain completes their scheme. Of course. Uh, you must save the world. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I'll probably start with. I have vowed, and I intend to keep this vow. That vowed? I made a vow. <gasps> uh, I made a vow that when Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 comes out, that I shall play this game. 
Okay, then. Uh, and the reason I made this vow is twofold. One of which is it's set in Seattle. <laughs> okay. And I want to critique. Because here's what we know is going to happen. A vampire game set in Seattle, what are the odds that they aren't going to include Underground Seattle? Of course. No. But what are the odds they're not going to include your sister? <laughs> uh, that, boy. Well, no one's reached out to her, so probably not. Aww. So. Uh, Darn. But, because uh, here's what, you know, I have a descriptive I tell everyone uh, when they come to Seattle and they're talking about the Underground Tour. Yeah. Be prepared to be overwhelmed by how disappointing it is. Hey. <laughs> no, well, because here's the thing. Everyone gets this grand idea that it's some kind of uh, mythical labyrinth out of the TV series Beauty and the Beast or as shown in the movie uh, Night Strangler. No, of course not. It It is a wonderful expose of the dirty underbelly of Seattle in... The dirty underbelly of Seattle, but no, it's not some you know, it don't. It's not something where they're saying you have to like follow the thread or drop breadcrumbs to make sure you get out. It's the don't step in that. That's not water. Well, and wear closed toe, no open toe shoes for the very same reason. Yeah. yeah well, and the rats. Yeah. yeah. Details. So uh, anyway, so I want to critique for that, but I also with my vast history with Vampire the Masquerade fandom. Uh, I want to be able to tell stories. Hell it, yes. It's a great uh, venue to tell those stories. So, yeah, so I'm going to get in that. Um, once I start, uh, I know what my Twitch channel name is going to be. It's probably not going to be Fanboy News Network. No. It's a bit long. Um, once I nail down and actually start streaming, you know, we'll then do an announcement here and on the Twitter of what it actually is. Well. Uh, same with when I finally actually start doing YouTube series, which probably won't debut until next year. Well, it's good to have goals for the fall. But uh, all of that, the upshot of all of that is if you want to drop Daniel or I a line, you can reach us at fanboynewsnetwork at gmail.com. Please, drop us a line. Yeah, we get comments every once in a while. We do? We do. Oh, wow. We do. Thank you. So uh, with that said, uh, let's, let's, uh, what have you seen recently, movie-wise? Uh, the only thing that, well... Let's, let's start with, I've been going through and watching a bunch of older movies, uh, partially because it was on a list of a, a director that I admire's uh, top top 20 list, and also because there are a lot of them that my wife has never seen. Uh, so this last week has included uh, the original Blade Runner, okay, which was a lovely trip down memory lane, and has actually survived remarkably well. You know, I, I have watched it in recent years, and it, it is a movie that stands up. It It's a case of when you have that good a craftsmanship oh, yeah. going in, it will stand the test of time, even as movie-making technology. Yeah. Uh, I think because it didn't just depend on spectacle. Uh, the, uh, you know, recently deceased, may he rest in peace, Rucker Hauer's performance yes. is phenomenal and really holds that movie together. Well, there's that. Uh, the version that we saw, it, it's funny, I had to go back and explain to her a little bit, um, because the version we saw was the final cut, which is the, takes out the whole noir, talking over, I was gonna do this next, because blah 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 blah, mm -hmm. sort of aspect to it, which it, it's the first time I'd seen that, and it, and it did change things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, otherwise seeing a very young Rutger Hauer, a very young Harrison Ford, a very young, broke her brain when I said, oh, you see that guy in the background that's not speaking in in any language you can identify? Yeah, that's Captain Adama. Yeah, Edward James almost, that was, it was a phenomenal cast. Oh yeah. Phenomenal cast. And, and the fact that even some of the bit players went on to oh, yeah. just amazing careers uh is uh again it's it's a classic for a reason yep and um it's one of those you know the understanding that the true hero of the movie is roy batty oh yeah you know uh and that uh you know once you understand that it is uh, it is an amazing movie to watch and i agree the the final cut version is superior yeah to the original theatrical release. The um, yeah, that's the that's the only thing of note of qualifier for being on Fanboy News Network that I've seen on video, 
But other than that, the big one that I think we both have seen recently. Ah, uh, yes, Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> uh, so, so here's the thing. I I think the the confession from both Daniel and I. Uh, neither of us have ever been moved, even to review, to watch any of the Fast and Furious movies. Oh, hell no. That's, that, that is not my style in any way, shape, or form. And even though I know it is permeated into geek culture quite a bit, I just, I was never drawn to them. The original didn't get me. Oh. Um, I drive a Fiat 500. Why am I going to be interested in people yeah. driving McLarens or McAllens or whatever it is that they are? And then you had, what, two of the movies where it was using the Fast and Furious tag, but it was original stories. Then they start bringing it back into a whole universe, and then it becomes action and adventure. Then it becomes a, uh, a movie where uh, physics are negotiable. Well, the whole thing has been physics is negotiable. But the the one thing that I have to say, though, I mean, let's be honest. It was two hours of Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham snarking with one another with Idris Elba as window dressing. Can True. we agree on this? Yeah. Okay. Well, so here's the thing. Uh, my understanding of the series, and I ended up doing a little research, is both of their characters, uh, you know... Lucas Hobbs and Deckard Shaw were introduced into the Fast and Furious series as antagonists. Uh, and then Hobbs eventually morphed because he was an antagonist lawman, morphed into an ally. Uh -huh. And then Shaw was a straight up villain who also morphed in the final appearance in that series to an ally. Yeah. And this movie, and they both turned out to be pretty popular with the fans. Yeah. Dwayne Johnson is the number one box office draw in America, apparently. With good reason. And Jason Statham plays off of him really well. So it almost became a no-brainer. Oh, hey, let's do something Focus on these two characters. Well, and then you throw in Helen Mirren, as, pardon me, <clears throat> Dame Helen Mirren, who shows up as Jason Statham's mom. Which was a lovely, lovely little bit of casting, I have to say. But Well, I also enjoyed Vanessa Kirby as his sister. Yes. Of course, we will pause to point out that there's this whole thing about the two of them growing up together and all the, the pranks that they would and heists that they would pull when they were young. And there's these cute pictures of these little blonde-haired kids running down the street and beating the snot out of other people and taking their money. Um, there's a 22-year gap between Vanessa Kirby and Jason Statham. Yeah, yeah. Now, while conceivably, pardon the pun, Helen Mirren could have given birth to both of them, the, there's, no, there's no way that, you know, Jason Statham's going to be running down the street with a toddler in his arms mm -hmm. trying to pull a heist. No. Yeah, that was a, a bit of a stretch of... Uh, of uh, yeah, the willing suspension of disbelief took took a body blow. Exactly on on that particular part. But if if physics are negotiable, so is chronology. So. Uh, yeah, basically, I, I think they were just basically stay saying, let's just. I kind of took it as let's pretend that Statham's character is younger than he actually is. Of course. Or let's pretend that Vanessa Kirby's character is older than she looks. Well, I, I, yeah, some sort of happy middle in between those two, but yeah. The, the, but at the end of the day, it is still two hours of of Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham snarking at one another. Pretty much, I mean, that was the basis of the, that was the 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 hook of the whole movie, that and improbable action sequences. Yes, and which is, I mean, if you if you remove out the action sequences, I still like to think because. I'm kind of been in a sentimental mood lately. Mm -hmm. Could be the fact that I'm going to my 30-year high school reunion next weekend. Um, I, I like to think, when I first moved to Seattle, right? one thing that something, I think somebody said to you, but has been uh, it's applicable to both of us, is mm. that, that he, either you and I were going to like each other on site or we were going to hate each other on site. Yeah, and everyone was betting on hate. Yes, everyone was betting on hate. Um, a, ha ha, B, I'd like to think that if we didn't get along, that if you take all the action sequences out of Hobbs and Shaw, 
that's what our relationship would be like. The, this podcast would be two hours of one another, two two hours of each other snarking at the other. Well, because we still do that occasionally, and we like each other. Yeah, how about that. So. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's obviously there's a on TV tropes they call it vitriolic best buds. Sure. Uh, and uh, I'm sure because, but here's the thing: since Hobbs and Shaw came out, it had the uh, biggest opening of any movie in the Fast and Furious franchise. Of course, say that five times fast. No, and the um, uh, so it's clear that they've at this point. I think Fast and Furious is going to become a blanket franchise, a shared universe. Why not for different movies? Uh, which again, Marvel kind of opened a door for people to go. Oh, sure, we can do movies that aren't direct sequels, yeah. but are still. And then you can have characters cross over. And the thing I would say is an advantage for Fast and the Furious is since it's all original characters, not based on any pre-existing media, they are free to do whatever the hell they want. Exactly. And like you said earlier, it's not like they're you know strictly bound by the laws of physics. So yeah, and uh, so of note, so. As I discussed earlier, I'm involved with a community that's based around wrestling. Yes. This movie starred Dwayne Johnson. Oh, yes. And there is a bit part in the movie uh, played by Dwayne's cousin, uh, Joe Ananoi, who in wrestling is known as Roman Reigns. <laughs> I love the fact that in the credits that they actually, uh, he uses his real name with Roman Reigns in the in the middle as parentheses. So, in other words, he he decided that maybe for movies he would use his real name. Well, I mean, how many years was it? Was it Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Well, it started out actually his first movie credit, which was uh, Mummy Two. It was he was just <laughs> he was just credited as The Rock. Yeah, and this is back before they realized, hey, let the man talk. He's, exactly, he's good at this. Uh, and then, so his first couple of movies, he was The Rock. Then it became Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And nowadays, it's just Dwayne. It's just Dwayne Johnson. Everyone knows Dwayne Johnson, and everyone just still kind of calls him The Rock as his nickname. Well, I'm. I, I don't remember if it was this. This is a fun juxtaposition. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if it was IMDb or if it was Five Thirty Eight. Mm -hmm. But one of the two of them did a breakdown, and they charted the performance of The Rock movies versus. Dwayne The Rock Johnson movies versus Dwayne Johnson movies. Mm -hmm. And it's hilarious to see how, what sort of movies they are and how much money they make and their performance over time. And it's hilarious to see how much they break it down. But yeah, dude makes money because dude is good. Yeah, yeah, he puts butts in seats. Yes. All you want. I mean, it's what he did in wrestling. It's what he does in movies. And seeing the slate of, I, I'll be honest, the trailer, and, and it was in front of Hobbs and Shaw, the trailer for the next Jumanji. Oh, hell yeah! I am so there for it. it all I can assume, watching that trailer, uh, and Kevin Hart has a cameo on Hobbs and Shaw because he and Dwayne yes. are tight. But I just assumed that when they were working on the script, it was so... Um, Kevin, you're known for yelling a lot. So we're going to make it so you have the, the character this time will not be yelling. Yep. Uh, and we're just going to give you both a little bit more acting challenge to bite into. Uh, and I'm sure they were both like, sure, let's do it. Just so help me God, if I, I, I am excited, I am looking forward to it. It was one of those times when I went back and said you were right on the air because the, the, the Jumanji movie reboot whatever continuation you want to call it mm -hmm. the last one uh was remarkably remarkably good but so help me hannah if this is a two hours of dwayne johnson doing a danny devito impression i am gonna want my money back well i mean it is but it's also there will be the action sequences i'm okay so here's something to remember yeah um danny devito just danny devito yes is a very good actor yes a uh, very smart man has been for forty years, yeah. and and the thing and the one thing I'm also always going to remember about Danny DeVito mm -hmm. is the testimonial Mara Wilson gave about him. Okay, because uh, he directed Matilda, right? And I've forgotten Mara, that, yeah. Well, and Mara Wilson's mother died during oh. the filming. Oh my god! Of Matilda, so 
basically Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman for the filming of the movie essentially took Mara in yeah and helped her process through the worst time in her life wow so anything you ever need to know about Danny DeVito can be summed up with that little story right there that's fascinating I've never heard that yeah it's it is a fa- and you know it's you know and anytime anything about Danny DeVito comes up Mara will retweet that essay about you know how you know when you know she needed somebody desperately, there was Danny DeVito. And you know, <laughs> th- th- there are definitely worse piece of worse people th- to be on that list. So. Yeah, but I'm just thinking. I expect, and I expect what happened is Dwayne and Danny worked really closely together on the performance. So I expect it to be more than one note. Of course. So, yeah, uh, that's all I'm saying. And uh, the other thing I know he's got coming out, we should be getting trailers on soon. They have finished principal photography. Is Jungle Cruise? Oh, you are kidding me! Nope, Jungle Cruise, the movie, and yes, based on the Disney ride. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, Dwayne you, Johnson and Emily Blunt. You know, this is. I, I'm just gonna. I'm. You, you heard it here now, folks. So help me God. Okay. <laughs> they do an It's a Small World movie. I'm burning Hollywood down. <laughs> well, and I and I think I think with with Jungle Cruise again, it was sort of like Pirates of the Caribbean. Did we come? Did we find an interesting script? Do you use the basic? Because they make a then they make an It's a Small World movie. I am burning Hollywood down. For, I'm sorry. No, I'm still no, waiting no, no, for because no. I know it's one of his dream projects. Guillermo del Toro's Haunted Mansion. See now that I'd watch. That I'd want, because I'm sure he could walk that perfect fine line between scary and not scary and funny mm. and do it perfectly. Yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, so yeah, that's the only other thing I've seen recently. Um, so, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I'm uh, also a reviewer on the Video Nasty Project. And uh, by the way, go check out uh, Video Nasty Project on YouTube. Uh, my latest episode is visiting hours, but what I re- what is coming up, and I reviewed this week, is the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith. The chant of Jimmy Blacksmith. So, so the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith is an Australian film. It is uh, based on the real life story of a man named Jimmy Governor, who is Aboriginal. Uh, and was a, an infamous outlaw in uh, in turn of the century, early 1900s Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was directed by a man named uh, Fred, I, I want to say it's pronounced Shepsky. Gesundheit. And uh, it was not a commercial success in Australia, which led him to uh, coming to uh, the U.S., for a decade and making movies like Six Degrees of Separation, Roxanne, and... He did Roxanne? He did Roxanne, yeah, which, and Empire Falls. Oh, also Fierce Creatures. He is not an insignificant director, uh, but his one of his early films was The Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith, which I described it to one person as it's the cinematic equivalent of eating your vegetables. <laughs> Okay. It's about a, a what they call half caste Aboriginal man. Half caste was what they were called mixed race. Yeah. Um, and because at that time they were very, what percentage Aboriginal are you? Uh, was a big deal. And so a half caste man, uh, you know, um, initiated into his tribe, but because uh, of his mixed heritage, was taken in by a um, Methodist minister uh, and raised and taught so that he could rise above his station. Oh, my. Goes out to find work and just faces rampant and consistent prejudice. Big surprise. Uh, And about halfway through the movie, it turns when an incident gets out of hand and he ends up killing a bunch of people. A bunch of people. And uh, becomes an outlaw. Yes. And the movie was, like I said, it's a, 
really well made. Uh, Tommy Lewis, who played Jimmy Blacksmith, died last year, but his uh, if you look at his IMDb credits, he was working right up to the end. Okay. Great actor. Um, a lot of, I mean, um, a lot of uh, actors you'll recognize from bits and pieces here out of Australia uh, show up. But it's, um, it is a really in-depth examination of the oppression of an Aboriginal people and just systemic racism. So just to be certain, what, when approximately did this come out? 1978. Oh, yeah. It's 40 years later and we're still having trouble to having discussions about race in, in the world. You think 40 years ago that they were going to say, oh, yes, this is going to be such a critical success. We're going to talk about a man. It has, yeah, it uh -huh. has gained retroactive praise, but the fact that it's not a well-known movie even now. Yeah, no. The only reason I even had it on my radar for review is it ended up on the, uh, on the video nasties list originally. And, and did I, they indicate why it was on the video? Yeah. No, they didn't. But let's just say that within the episode, I have strong speculations, and they all start with R. <laughs> and ends in acism? Yes. How about that? So, Oh, because doesn't he... Uh, there's a... Uh, let me guess. He he gets close to a white woman. His what? He marries a white woman. Oh, the scandal. The scandal. And there is a sex scene. <gasps> all so, right. So... Would certainly recommend, but it's even a movie that, because of the subject matter, uh, I had to watch and starts and stops due to getting uncomfortable. Yeah, well. So, that. Um, all right, so turning to television. Okay. I mean, right now we're kind of in what I call the dry season. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's good stuff periodically dropping on Netflix and Amazon Prime. Yeah. Uh, I will watch Carnival Row once it drops later this month. That's the one with uh, uh, Legolas in it, isn't it? Orlando Bloom. Yes. Yeah, it's the the you know Victorian London or turn of the century London with fairies. Yes, and other creatures. So yeah, looks intriguing. So uh, I'll at least check. I'll give it a first episode. <laughs> so what you're saying is this is the uh, uh, screw you, J.K. Rowling. We're going to have a a diverse and integrated magical community in the turn of the century Europe? Well, I don't know about diverse. Oppression is going to be a theme in that one, too. How about that? So, um, yeah, so you've got, so that's coming out. But so the big thing that everyone's, at least that's coming on my radar, yeah. with all the new season coming up and all the new series, uh, the thing everyone keeps talking about is the upcoming season of the CW DC comic shows. Oh, okay, yeah. So the big things that are happening this year is uh, there's going to be a 10-episode final season of Arrow. Five. How many seasons have that been out now? Uh, that will be the, I want to say this is going to be the seventh season, seventh wow. or eighth. Uh, but they've decided it's time to end it, which well, they're right. I mean, it, it's hit the natural end of its lifespan, so I think it's smart they're deciding let's go out. Uh, it will be the premiere season of Batwoman. Okay. But more significantly, it is, uh, so ever since they had two shows, so when The Flash debuted, they started making a tradition of doing crossover episodes. And with each show they've entered into the, um, that universe, uh, they started doing more until the crossovers became a big thing. And so up till now, they've had five or four primary shows, uh, Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl. Okay. Uh, they've had Black Lightning for the last two seasons, but it's been kind of off on its own little corner. And then uh, that's been it. So with this season, they have Batwoman in the mix. This crossover will include um, Black Lightning, although uh, the crossovers will not appear on any of the Black Lightning episodes. He will be in the crossover. Interesting. But they're doing Crisis on Infinite Earths. <sighs> And that is the big original Uber crossover in the 80s where they realigned the DC universe. This is the, uh, um, what's the word? End game of the DC world. So, yeah, basically. But it's also, it was uh, sort of the progenitor of the big crossover event comics. Uh, 
Okay. I mean, really, e- even before Secret Wars over at Marvel, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths was, you know, a huge deal bringing all the comics together and trying to create a more unified DC universe. So the fact that they are uh, doing this, this, they're making a big deal, but part of this is also they're doing a lot of uh, bringing in other characters since they're doing a multiverse story. Uh, the first thing that really told us, okay, this is going to be a big deal. So they've always had that Supergirl was on a different Earth from the main series. Okay. They've kind of played up that might be what's going on with Black Lightning as well. Right. Fine. Uh, Flash has constantly dealt with the multiverse. It's been a key component of the series. I keep forgetting that the, the actual name of the show is The Flash and not Damn It, Barry. Right. Okay. But uh, what they're doing, so the first sign, okay, they're doing something interesting, is uh, Brandon Roth is a regular on Legends of Tomorrow as the Atom. Okay. Brandon Roth first really hit the scene uh, when he played Superman in the Brian Singer movie, Superman Returns. Interesting. Okay. Uh, they've even done a couple of jokes about that on Legends of Tomorrow. When, when Ray Palmer met Supergirl... Uh, he's like, wow, she reminds me of my cousin. <laughs> we thought that was the closest ever to get. No. Uh, so in Crisis on Infinite Earths, as he is a regular on Legends of Tomorrow, Brandon Roth will be playing the Atom. Okay. He will also be playing Superman. Sure, why not? So they're bringing in the... Uh, and uh, they have announced that Kevin Conroy, who was the voice of Batman on Batman the Animated Series and many cartoons and video games since. Yes. We'll be playing Bruce Wayne. Nice touch. Older Bruce Wayne, but Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Um, There is talk that Linda Carter, who has appeared on Supergirl, maybe being a reappearance, but not as the character she played on Supergirl previously. Okay. Um, They've cast Burt Ward, although they haven't said what part he's playing. Uh, I will pay him any amount of money they want if they put him as Alfred. I tell you what. Some people have said Alfred. Some people think if you're going to have an older Batman, you can also get away with having an older Dick Grayson. True. Because, uh, uh, and then uh, Tom Welling, who played Clark Kent on Smallville, has dropped hints he might be involved. So basically, they're taking all these actors who have had parts uh, in DC bef- properties before. Are coming in the crossover. And the latest rumor is, somebody put it out, you know Mark Hamill has already appeared on Flash as the trickster. Oh, that would be a nice touch. So, And if Kevin Conroy is finally getting to play Batman live action, isn't it time that Mark Hamill got a chance to put on the white face paint? Why not? You, you know what this is reminding me of? Hmm. And I, I am surprised that they have not made a, a, a larger deal of it. That uh, the Vampire Council... In the TV version of What We Do With The Shadows. Yeah, which we talked about a few episodes ago. Which we about. talked yeah. about a couple we seasons, not seasons, a couple episodes ago, where they pull in all the different vampires from all the different classic vampire movies mm-hmm. from all over the place. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is just kind of like, it's like old home week. It's like, you know? Well, because here's what's interesting uh, when I was looking at it. Um, we just had Avengers Endgame. Oh, yeah. In fact, I, I just got the DVD this week, watched it. By the way, um, ha- if you're going to watch the special features, have Kleenex ready when you get to the one about Stanley. Of course. Um, but DC has wanted to have the success of the Marvel movies, but they didn't work for it. Nope. And so when they did Justice League, it, it you know, just kind of sat there. Yeah. Whereas Endgame, you know, you had that emotional catharsis of here's the the culmination of 10 years worth of continuity in one big movie. And the realization that uh, DC Comics couldn't pull it off in the movies, but apparently managed it in TV. Well, you know, seeing as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has not, I mean, is it still on the air? Uh, Next season will be its last season. So, so yeah, in in some ways, I suppose that, that is a fair trade. I mean, yes... Marvel is still getting the the lion's share of it, but it is if one gets the TV world and one gets the cinematic world, I think that that could be an acceptable split. Yeah, but so that's uh, so that's what's going to be. It's as they lead up more, it's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's because uh, my first thought is one of the th- the the upshots 
of the original Crisis comic was you ended up with one Earth where everything was happening on. The whole reason Supergirl was on a different Earth is the Supergirl series originally debuted on CBS. And they wanted that separation. And when they brought it on to CW, they had to link it up more so alternate Earth. So I could see Crisis on Infinite Earth taking all of the different DC series, even the ones that aren't currently part of the same universe, and just saying, nope, all one Earth. Hey. Uh, which, and then the other thing that's going on is CW has said, yeah, the DC properties have been really successful for us. Um, so we are in development on more. Cool. Uh, Arrow, again, ending this season. Technically, iZombie was a DC series. <laughs> it okay, was, It was really? based on a Vertigo comic. Did not realize. But because it was a Vertigo comic, they just never did any tie-in with it. I've heard they're even going to bring in some of the DC Universe streaming series might be included in the crossover. Interesting. So, Teen Titans, or Titans. Re- uh, refresh my memory. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Vertigo. Is Dark Horse a... Dark Horse is a separate company altogether. Oh, really? I thought that they were they They're, were an imprint. No, Dark Horse is an independent company out of Portland, Oregon. Oh, never mind. Uh, Believe my last. Uh, Vertigo. They shut down the imprint. Hmm. Oh, that's what it was. I remember they pulled the plug. On yeah, Vertigo. which was I think a bad idea because they're still trying to publish Vertigo comics, uh, just not as Vertigo anymore. Um, yeah, and and the other thing, the other one that was a Vertigo comic, although it's not on CW. Uh, it's currently a Netflix series, is Lucifer. Oh, don't even get me started on that. Lucifer is based on Sandman. Yes, it is, including the uh, his little assistant or friend or whatever you Mazikeen. want to call it. Mazikeen. Yeah. Which still throws me for what they call her Maze. And I'm like, what? Uh, it makes, you know, Mazikeen is a mouthful. It's e- You know, it's it's easier to write out Mazikeen on paper, I think it is, than to but say But yeah, it. what, are they afraid of calling her Maz for fear they'll get a cease and desist from, uh, from Star Wars universe? I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, um, you know, this, this does bring up an interesting point, though. Okay. I, I, I know where you're going with that, and before we get there... I right. would like to just interject, as far as television and superheroes are concerned, uh-huh. have you heard anything about The Boys? Uh, I have not watched it yet. Uh, I have heard a lot of reviews. Um, the biggest the biggest thing I've heard is kind of the, it's the complaint that I hear a lot where it's the, uh, it is suffering from what one person calls Watchmen Syndrome. Okay, what wanting to make it too grim dark? No, or? it's un, kind of missing the boat on what the message. So here's the thing. Okay, so let's start with Watchmen. Okay, then we'll get to your. Well, before we do that, what was your point on the the boys? Just that uh, it's interesting from the perspective of the power corrupts as, aspect because uh-huh. that's always been the question of if these people have, you know, phenomenal cosmic powers, why? What is it about them that makes them want to be good? Right. Um, but the other thing is, is cause I have not seen it, but my brother-in-law has, and we were talking about it last night at dinner and his takeaway was, oh my God, it is bloody as hell. So <laughs> that, that lends it towards me giving it a pass. But so, um, with Watchmen, uh, there has been a tendency for people to want to try and depict the character of Rorschach as kind of the hero of the story. And <clears throat> excuse me, what? And because in in classic, because he holds a narrative place in the story that the hero usually holds in traditional comics. All right, which was part of Moore's subversion, because Moore was very clear: this is not a good person. Well, not only that, but I mean, spoiler alert: the good dude gets thrown out of a window on what page three? You're thinking the comedian. Oh, my bad. Terribly sorry. Go on. Yeah. Rorschach is the... The, 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 the ink blot on the face. Not right. The, uh, yeah. Sorry. And, Go on. And, you know, he has a moral compass. It's just really skewed. But the... And and Moore was trying to say, yeah, the, the, this isn't a good view. Uh, and it's problem. And there's an argument to be made that there... You know, one person said, pick a character in Watchmen that you think is the good guy, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> and all the arguments are good it's it's kind of a rough you know we're looking for the hero and in Watchmen there really isn't one 
uh, which was part of what made it. And the problem is so many people are like, oh, well, the, you know, we should, we should hold up these ideals because this character was the hero of Watchmen. No, <laughs> no, let's not. And that does seem to be part of the problem with uh, what's coming up with the Watchmen series on Showtime. Oh, yeah, they do have that coming up. Or not Showtime, HBO. Uh -huh. But it's, yeah, and, and The Boys has kind of the same central problem of, uh, it almost, you know, and one person said it's almost like we're going back into a Mark Millar comic. <laughs> and, and one of the problems you had with Mark Millar. One. Well, I'll always have with Mark Millar. People, I, and folks, I call him Millar. It's M-I-L-L-A-R. I know a lot of people want to call him Miller. I'm pretty sure it's actually supposed to be pronounced Millar. If nothing else, it makes it easier to identify who the hell I'm talking about. Yeah. So he... He's a guy who really doesn't get superhero comics, even though he's written a ton of them. Doesn't get as in he doesn't understand them. He doesn't. Well, he, he, he very much has this idea of. So he did the Ultimates, well, which was a take on the Avengers and was pretty awful because he doesn't. He, I think at the heart, he doesn't really believe in heroes. Well, I, I, I. Truth to tell, I have only ever actively read one Millar comic, uh -huh. and that was the Red Sun arc, which I thought was actually phenomenally well done. But mm -hmm. everything else that I have heard about the man is not pleasant. So w with Millar, he can do okay if he's got really good editorial constraints. Okay. Uh, the thing is, in more and more in recent years, those have not existed. How about that? And because everyone keeps firing editors, says a writer. And, um, <clears throat> you know, what's interesting is you get the adaptations of his work, which then tend to be better because they take his work and then they go, well, first off, let's put a moral compass in here. Yeah. Uh, he did write The Kingsman. Uh, the original comics. Okay, I was going to say, so the discussion of moral compass kind of flies out the window at that point. But yes, go on. No, but they put one in. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, even wanted, they uh, you know uh, wanted like the the Angelina Jolie yes circular firing squad of one yes yeah okay yeah he what he which doesn't look anything like his original book thank goodness yeah, well um yeah so uh, anyway take from that what you will but uh, getting back to the boys. The Boys was very, even though it's, a, I believe, a Garth Ennis book, it's a similar vein. It's, 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 a, it's a similar vein. The problem is it's also a similar artery and it's spraying all over the yeah, place. Yeah, basically. So I probably will watch The Boys at some point. If nothing else, I, I'm, I like Carl Urban. Oh, yeah. So I, I always want to support his work. Um, so at, uh, when we were getting food right before this recording, mm. we had discussed... Uh, and part of it had come up from our discussion last episode about the movie Constantine. Yes. And then uh, you mentioning that your wife has started watching Lucifer. Yes. The... And these are two adaptations of comic books, which you kind of have to be told they're adaptations of the comic books and in no way resemble the comics they're adapted from. There's that. I, Sorry, I still can't get over... You have the premise of Satan himself giving up on hell and going to Los Angeles because that's where all the fun is at. And it turns into a police procedural? So here's the thing. And I've seen this time and time again. TV writers are going to try and veer to what they know, especially if they have to write something episodic. Right. And one of the easiest things... To to that I, from my understanding to write is a police procedural because you have some very you have a crime you have to go solve it and then you can do all the shenanigans around solving the crime yeah. uh see also however many million seasons there are of law and order ncis ad nauseum well and i'm thinking of um castle see which i think is the closest analogy to lucifer because that's about a, a mystery writer yeah who tags along. Because here's the thing. First off, no consultant to a police department is going to be allowed to go do that kind of investigative work like you see on either Castle or Lucifer. Of course. You're going to have two cops partnered up 
and then they might consult the consultant on their area of expertise, but they will not be actively acting as one of the investigators. What, do we go back and blame Arthur Conan Doyle for this? I mean... A little bit, but okay. even then, you know, what Conan Doyle got right was um, Sherlock Holmes wasn't a cop. Yes. He was a private investigator, hired to be a private investigator, and he had his assistant. True. That worked because it fit the venue. And, and when you have those, sure, you can get away with a lot more because private investigators are working by a whole different set of rules. True. But when you're dealing with, oh, no, you're actually the police, it's a whole different ballgame. But uh, that's kind of almost a digression into what I was thinking about. Which we specialize was, in those. We do. Uh, with Lucifer and then with Constantine, one of the things they have are two very different depictions, not just of the devil, but when you think about it, with both Constantine and Lucifer being DC Comics... Two different depictions of the same devil. I, I see that they, with a root source they were pulling from, the Lucifer of the DC comics. Okay, that I think that might be a bit of a stretch. I, th I think because well, we've never done that before. Well, yes, I, I, I'd say that there is a, shall we say, a larger public domain source. That sure, but I'm just, <laughs> but I'm just saying. These are both ostensibly DC comic based. Okay. I've... Uh both pulling from Vertigo comics. Fair enough. I I I, both I, I which, see the point. Both which dealt with hell fairly extensively. True. So you, there is an argument to be made that they although let's just say there was not a lot of crossover between Hellblazer and the Sandman books. Oh yeah. Little, but not a lot. Well, I mean, technically, uh, the, I, I distinctly remember, and I think if I dig deep enough, I can actually still find it. There is the co crossover between John Constantine and Death uh, from the from the Endless. Uh, it was a condom PSA. Yeah, there was that. There was also, I do think, John Constantine showed up in episode, in issue seven of Sandman. Fair enough. But I that, still remember the banana, so you know. Huh? But that's, of course, you do. Yes, because I'm twelve. Yeah, but uh, the, uh, I guess the point is, uh, you're looking at this, and then it, you, like you said, there's a lot of leeway on how you represent the devil. Oh yeah, Lucifer. Uh, and and you know, we were discussing our favorite screen depictions. Oh yeah. Of of the that archetype and you know going from the comic spin all right so you've got um i wouldn't say peter stormare's performance in constantine um was a typical one no but it was lovely it was it was well played uh very much playing up trickster aspect very much trickster um uh you know uh Kind of, you know, a little bit of base cruelty, but more, you know, I think Peter was just having a lot of fun. Oh. With the part. <laughs> yes. Also, because he was getting to goof around with Tilda Swint in, the, in that. And, uh, uh, you know, so just playing with that. And then uh, versus, you know, Tom Ellis as Lucifer on the, the same series where he's very much, you know, this is the... The, the softer, cuddly Satan. <laughs> uh, you know, very much very much playing as just a bad boy with a good heart. Uh-huh. And, yeah, I have to wonder how... I, I think you and I, because neither of us are what you would call church-going, have a much different uh, barometer for blasphemy. Blasphemy, you blasphemy. And uh, so... It's, uh, you know, I wonder sometimes how people who are more staunchly religious deal with that show. They wouldn't watch it. <laughs> it's that simple. I uh, mean, and yet it's a very popular TV series, oh, yeah. so go figure that one. But uh, the, um, oh, what was it? Because, I mean, you, you just just those two, the, the Peter Stormare versus... Um, Tom Ellis. Tom Ellis. Uh, that's that's a range, but then you start throwing in things like Viggo Mortensen. 
from what what it was prophecy the prophecy which was a lovely lovely performance yeah, playing up playing against Christopher Walken which you know he could rise to the challenge yeah this and this is this was an early I want to say that's the first thing I ever remember seeing Vigo in it's the only thing I, I the only thing I saw Vigo in before Lord of the Rings besides uh the prophecy was uh he was playing a southerner. He was uh, he was uh, Crimson Crimson Tide. It was a submarine movie, right? And I was also I remember him from uh, GI Jane. Oh yeah, with... that was another shocker. He he can pull a shockingly good American yeah. American accent. And then and then what? Vigo is American. Really? Yeah. I thought he was. Nope. Go on. Yeah, you're about to. About, yeah, while, uh, while you do the, the check. Listen, listen really closely, you can hear me checking IMDb. But, but uh, the other one I was thinking of was um, he was in the sh- Gus Van Zant shot for shot remake of Psycho. Yeah. Not in a big part. Danish American. Okay, but where was he born? Born in New York to a Danish father and an American mother and resident of Venezuela and Argentina during his childhood. All right, so he's been everywhere. Yeah. Uh-huh. So anyway, um, but yeah, his. Uh, but the thing that really stuck in my memory, in fact, in all of those other movies, he was, oh yeah, he's the guy that played Lucifer in Prophecy. <laughs> so that's kind of how he got locked in my brain. Um if we're going to talk about that depiction, though, I mean, let's put it this way. There's certainly, uh, should we call it a sliding scale of Satan? <laughs> a uh, slippery slope, how about? Uh, a slippery slope for Satan. Which, you know, I mean, again, it's the devil. So, so many different depictions. I mean, Christopher Lee once played the devil in, yes. um, oh, I can't even think of the name of the movie. It was a Disney film. Starring, uh, oh, it was um, Bill Cosby and Elliot Gould. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. And I want, no, that wasn't it. It wasn't the Christopher Lee one. No, Christopher Lee was in a movie with Sammy Davis Jr. where he played the devil. That was the one. Fair enough. uh, I think those two movies have a a similar enough theme that they, they stick together in my mind. Well, if you're gonna, if we're gonna pull out stuff like that, let's not forget George Burns. George Burns, yeah. Oh, oh God, you devil, James Coco, and Hunk. But if we're talking about like like bigger, where there are significant characters, I mean, you have um, you have Robert Duvall, or not Robert Duvall. I'm sorry. Although he wouldn't surprise me if Robert Duvall has played the character. Yeah. Um, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. Thank you. I was uh, Robert De Niro. In uh, Angel Heart. Oh, yes. With Lisa Bonet. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Al Pacino in The Devil's Advocate. With Keanu Reeves. Right. I think Robert got the better end of that bargain, but yes, go Oh, on. yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, better script. Yeah. For sure. Uh, Low bar, but yes. There was uh, on the, you know, we're sorry you got stuck in this movie in the role. Um, there was uh, Gabriel Byrne in End of Days, which was the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. That's the one, right. But but for depictions that are close to the ones we're talking about, there was a show called Brimstone. Uh, it was on Fox, starred, um, and it had John Glover from Smallville mm-hmm. as Lucifer. That was the premise of that show. Going back to procedurals, uh, it was uh, like 314 souls escaped, or I think they worked out to, you know, an episode, uh, you know, to get a 22 five-year uh-huh. 22 episodes for five years, that number of souls. Coincidence or design. Uh, escaped hell. And um, so the devil um, made a deal with a, a policeman who had died and gone to hell that, you know, your sin wasn't that bad and you're a good policeman. Track down these souls for me, return them to hell, and I'll basically commute your sentence. Uh, and that was just more of a because he again had sort of that fun, uh, trickstery uh, feel. He would have felt very comfortable. Uh, he's kind of a middle ground between the Stormare and Ellis depictions of the character. Yeah. 
on a similar vein, you had Reaper on the CW, which was a comedy about a kid who found, discovers his parents sold his soul to the devil, and he has to be the devil's bounty hunter. <laughs> and that devil was played by Ray Wise from Twin Peaks. Oh, okay. Who was doing a very much, hey, kind of car salesman uh, Satan. So, so here's a question for you. Yeah. I, I, I should have warned you about it in advance, but I'm not going to. All so. right. Um, so if you had a... You were... In, you Congratulations. You're now a Hollywood director. Oh, God. Okay. No, that's been done already with George Burns. We talked about it. All right. Um, who would you cast for the, for the devil? Well, or what aspects would you want to play up? You see, I think to me the most interesting versions of the devil uh, are the fallen angel. Yeah, uh, which is kind of where they go with with uh, the Lucifer version. Uh, I also think back to um, Peter Capaldi's performance as the angel Islington in uh, Neverwhere. So I uh, I guess if if I were casting, I would want to play up the, the you know, I rebelled against heaven, here's why. <laughs> welcome to my 12 point, welcome to my TED talk. Welcome to my TED talk. Um, and so with that, the, the challenge is you need somebody really charismatic. Yeah. Um, someone who can bring out the creepy... While still also having you go, well, okay. So um, thinking of actors who can bring, so so yeah, you need, so I guess looking at that and then kind of looking at who's out there in Hollywood right now who, you know, would have that range of being really, you know, charismatic one minute and then absolutely terrifying the next <laughs> the first person i think of that i would be really interested in seeing trying to pull that off would be jude law okay yeah um and i'm thinking about some of his other performances where he's kind of straddled the line between good and evil. Mm -hmm. uh, Captain Marvel recently, uh, where he was playing non-Rog, uh, the Kree commander shows aspects of that. Sure. So, so I think he'd be one. I think another actor who has the right range and could do it is Matt Damon. Really? I think Matt Damon hasn't had a chance to do something like that in a while. He actually, though, that brings up one other person who would probably be really super good. And if Scorsese directed, it would be a shoe in. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about me, but I could still dream. And that is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh Lord. Okay. Yes. Uh, again, if you're talking about wanting to mix that here, you know, here's why I fell. Yeah. Here and and you know you need that sinister but still charismatic and there i'm thinking about you know, you'll pick a performance he's done either for uh martin scorsese or even uh django unchained you know he's uh or or he's in, in in for a penny and for a pound yeah so. he he's an actor with that that level of range he could probably pull it off yeah so what, what about you see it's funny because one of the people I keep coming back to in my head, um, we've already talked about her in, uh, or we've already talked about the film in Constantine, and it's Tilda Swinton. Because that aspect of that, that incredibly passionate, that incredibly dogmatic, and still incredibly stylish, um, and yeah, a little androgynous on top of it all. It I really enjoy, because for me it, it wiggles between Tilda Swinton. Uh, maybe it's just because she recently did the voice of God in uh, Good Omens, but Frances McDormand, you know, that sort of being able to to find because it's not for me. It is an aspect of belief and about wanting to 
wanting to do what they thought was right and literally damn the consequences. See, with that, you you brought in one more actor uh, because you brought up Good Omens Uh, and and then Tilda Swinton besides. Uh, And the crossover there is Benedict Cumberbatch. You know... I love the man dearly, and the man has had too... I, he has done too many things lately. I'm sorry, but he's working too much. It just I, I'm tired of seeing him around. He He's good, and he does a good performance, but it's usually a one or two note performance. So you've hit peak Cumberbatch. I have hit peak Bendersnatch Cumberbund. I'm sorry. I, I, I've seen him do Hamlet twice now, and it's enough. You know, and it because his even his Hamlet was remarkably one note, and it's not there needs to be more something more there. Okay, because you know, so I'll buy most most everybody most everybody else that you've thrown out, but I'm no, I'm not done with him for a little while. All right, well then, one last name I'm going to throw out again. Although the problem here is, it would probably veer too close for a character he's more closely associated with. Okay. Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, no, short step, too yeah, short a step. Too short a step from Loki. Yeah, yeah, there are no men like me. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. That, so, that which, is that the, the, the problem was he has the chops oh, yeah. as an actor to do it. But yeah, there'd be way too much reminiscence. I'm still, although, I don't know, I'm holding out hope that the rumor I'm hearing right now is true. Hmm. Somebody has to replace Daniel Craig as James Bond. Ooh. And his name is apparently one of the ones in the hopper. Real quick. All right. What are you reading? Uh, right now, uh, I've been... Um, I am kind of getting into just starting a book called We Sold Our Souls. So, <laughs> so much so that... I, yeah, thematically appropriate. Thematically right. appropriate. Uh, and um, it is a uh, heavy metal novel. By uh, Grady Hendrix. And it is basically, it, let, let's just say it is kind of like exactly what it sounds like on the tin. It involves heavy metal and Satanism. and But in a, we literally okay. sold our souls. Cool. Awesome. So, uh, yeah. For me, I... Uh, I f- since last we recorded, I finished Discount Armageddon, which is the first encrypted book by Seanan McGuire. Right, which I've talked about before. Yeah, and enjoyed it immensely, but I think I'm going to leave it at one for right now. I don't feel the need to read all five. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that I am currently in the middle of and greatly enjoying, um, Richard Cadry, who we've talked about multiple times before. Right, Sandman he, Slim. He wrote Sandman Slim. He also wrote another short series of a character named Coop which I described the first one as if Christopher Moore had written Good Omens. Sure. Uh, but he has now written a new one. It's called The Grand Dark, and it is amazing, and it is completely unlike anything else that he has written. Um, for lack of a better term, it is a diesel punk book set in between nominally World War One and World War Two in something that is vaguely Eastern European. Um, but there are... Robots, and there are there's technology that it was not around in Weimar Germany, um, but there is that uh, feel to it, that kind of a cabaret feel to it, and it is remarkably good. I I I just wanted to throw in a quick quick plug for that. Sure. So I guess there's one last thing I'll just kind of throw as a fun little plug. Ah. Um. I so I was involved in a podcast version. Uh, that never that that pod faded, uh, but a podcast version of the novel "The Hole Behind Midnight" by Clinton Boomer. Okay, uh, and uh, as part of this, I met Clinton, great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clinton uh, also does a lot of writing for gaming. Okay, does a lot of Pathfinder, and lately, if you follow Clinton on either Facebook or uh, Twitter, he is writing a series of tweets about a. Uh, D&D style group. Oh, yes. And each one is only named by their archetype. The barbarian, the rogue, the the bard, the fighter, the necromancer. This is what, the one where they convince the paladin to rob a bank by telling him that the bank is run by Nazis. Yes. Yes. Uh, and it's just this great series that, and he's like very careful about like, doesn't gender a lot of the characters or describe them much past their personalities 
or their roles in the group. Um, and it is literally, you don't, it's not, you have to buy anything. You just need to follow Clinton uh, either on Facebook or on Twitter. And yet there's this building mythology that people are really getting into. So yeah, you've got the paladin who is the noble warrior that they, they convinced to do things because he finds the highest good in the world killing Nazis. Yes. Uh, but it's, like anachronism stew, and they even make jokes about about how anachronistic it is. Oh, do so you have a cop arresting the paladin for beating up a Nazi bar? And he goes, "That's fine, officer. I just have to ask. Uh, anywhere in your body, do you have the tattoos eighty-eight or fourteen words?" <laughs> and you know, uh, which, which for was, those of you playing the home game, those are not Nazi affiliated tattoos. Yeah. Uh, which ends with excellent. Now I get to resist arrest. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it, it's a great series. So I just say, you know, go find Clinton Boomer. Uh, that Boomer kid. Ah. Uh, that's his uh, That's his Tumblr, uh, at least. I think that's also his Twitter. Uh, well worth reading. He's a fun guy. But the, since he started doing this series, let's just say he's, like, getting a lot more retweets and shares. Amazing, that. Yeah. So with that, uh, thank you very much for listening to this month's episode of Fanboy News Network. As we said at the uh, top of the show, if you want to reach out to Daniel and I, you can email us at fanboynewsnetwork at gmail.com. You could also still, as always, leave a comment for the episode on our website, fanboynewsnetwork.com. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at fanboy underscore network. With that, uh, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next month. Take care, y'all. This program is produced by Jeff Harris and Fanboy News Network and is copyright 2019 to Jeff Harris and Fanboy News Network. All rights are reserved, including rights to copy and redistribute this program. All music in this podcast comes from the footage firm and is used under a royalty-free license. 